He's amused Cam Newton. He's been insulted by Charles Barkley. When some idiot in the press asked him, if you know what you know now, what you have scheduled this game? He's interviewed Matthew McConaughey. I do say go, Tarion. And he's taken on Big Blue Nation. He's just completely taken the wind out of my sails. <laughs> it's time for the drive with Josh Grant. Welcome to a Monday drive. Where just because there wasn't drama in the final round at Augusta doesn't mean there wasn't a massive, compelling story staring us right in the face. Scotty Scheffler was, of course, that story. His time's arrived. This is not a fluke. This isn't going to be one of those masters where you wonder, oh, Scotty Scheffler won that year. What'd that guy go on to do? Kind of like we do if Charles Schwartzel to a degree, Zach Johnson, even though I might be a bit harsh there on that. Scotty Scheffler's time's arrived. That was sheer dominance we saw all weekend long. He was in the last pairing on Friday, and he was leading by a ton. He was on the last pairing Saturday and went into yesterday leading by a ton. And when it was all said and done in the final pairing yesterday, he took care of business. He never relinquished the lead over the weekend. John Dell told us on Friday from the media center at the Masters that the winner likely was going to be single digits under par. He'd be surprised if it was double digits. Scotty Scheffler slipped up on 18, double bogeyed it, yet still finished 10 under. It was sheer historic dominance from Scotty Scheffler. This is not a commonplace deal. It's kind of like when we were talking about John Shire on Friday and people were acting like what he was doing was normal. Oh, yeah, John Shire bringing in a five-star kid. Not just one, but eight of them on back-to-back nights. Everybody in the country wants these players. The guy who's never technically coached a game at the highest level who's 34 years old is getting all of them. It's not normal. What Scotty Scheffler did at Augusta, not normal. By whatever metric you care to look at. He did this as the world's number one. And you might think, well, Josh, doesn't that make it normal? You're the number one player in the world. Shouldn't you win tournaments like this? Maybe. But if you start examining the list of players who won this tournament while being the number one player in the world, you'll you'll discover he's in pretty rare air. He's only the fifth guy to ever do it. The fifth player to ever win the Masters while they're also the number one player in the world. And here's the company he shares. Shares company with Fred, Freddie Couples and Tiger Woods and Dustin Johnson. That's what Scotty Scheffler's going to become. So when Scotty Scheffler's on a Ryder Cup team, you're not looking at him and thinking, well, who's this guy? And you have to have a hardcore golf fan tell you, no, 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 this guy's really good. We all know it now. Scotty Scheffler for the foreseeable future, is going to become a household name the same way Jordan Spieth has been, Rory McIlroy has been, many others have been. That's what this weekend was. It's the introduction of a new star in the sport that has so many. That's not a small thing to me. He did it as the world's number one. He's won four of his last six starts. So I don't think this is the end. I think this is just the beginning. He's 25 years old. This isn't a young phenom who might get overwhelmed with expectations. He's entering his prime. 
and just the coolest of customers. Never seemed phased by any of it. He never once put his head up until he double bogeyed on the 18th hole, looking around at people who were all looking at him. He never once put up his head. He, You watch him. When he would sink a putt on 18, he'd just keep his head down as he walked in between holes. And you could tell as he walked up that 18th fairway, that's when it finally hit him, oh, I'm going to win this tournament. And he got a bit complacent, and he had some shots to, to spare, and that's what happened. The coolest moment yesterday to me, and this is usually my favorite moment with the Masters, after they win, they hit the putt on 18, and they're walking off the course, hugging your family, but also the CBS camera tracking, tracking the golfer as they walk from the 18th green into the clubhouse. And maybe I'm just forgetting past instances where this has happened, but I don't remember many times where the golfers walked with their significant other. And it's that was the coolest moment to me. Borderline emotional watching Scotty Scheffler walking back to the clubhouse with his wife, Meredith, and no words had to be said. You could just see that these two people, it's not just one person, these two people were in their moment. In their moment, something that they had worked so hard for, they had achieved. And it's really cool to see that happen. And even though they seem so cool on the outside, or specifically Scheffler, Scheffler revealed after the round that that morning he needed to pick me up from his wife, Meredith. That he wasn't so cool on the inside as what he gave off on the outside. This was Scheffler in his post-round press conference. This morning was a totally different story. I cried like a baby this morning. I was so stressed out. Um, I didn't know what to do. I was sitting there. I was telling Meredith, I was like, I, I don't think I'm ready for this. You know, I'm not ready. I go, I don't feel like I'm ready for this kind of stuff. And I just felt overwhelmed. And so she told me, who are you to say that you're not ready? Um, who, who am I to say that I know what's best for for my life. And so for what we talked about is, you know, that God is in control and, you know, the Lord is leading me. And, um, if today's my time, then, then it's my time. And if, you know, I shot 82 today, you know, somehow I was going to use it for his glory. Your thoughts. Welcome on Twitter at WSJS sports, Robert Walsh for the final week, the producer of the drive before he goes off to Nashville. We've got Will Dalton, who's going to be the John Shire in this uh, analogy here, stepping in for Robert Walsh. It is a full-on succession plan that we have here. So Robert and Will are taking your calls at 336-777-1600 and again on Twitter at WSJS Sports. Getting to Charlotte Sports, right up 85 or 77. I was at a Charlotte FC match yesterday. I'll tell you what my experience was like in about 10 minutes. The Charlotte Hornets right down the road from where... Bank of America Stadium sits in Uptown Charlotte. They completed their regular season yesterday. Charlotte beat Washington, beat them bad as they should. Look at that Washington lineup they put out there, and you're probably just going to laugh and say, well, how is this even an NBA roster? There are many teams like that towards the end of the regular season, but Charlotte, winning season for the first time in a while. They finished the season with 43 wins, and that's not a small feat. But as we look ahead to the future, I don't really like their chances as a 10 seed in the play-in tournament. Don't really like that with them going to Atlanta 
and then they'll have a matchup after that with either Cleveland or Brooklyn, assuming they don't lose their first game against Atlanta. They need to win two in a row in order to make the traditional playoff format. I'm not that optimistic about that. I'm also not that optimistic about the next two to three years of Charlotte basketball. My opinion can change if somebody can talk me into it, but as they've trended upward the last three years, and they have from 23 wins to 33 wins to 43 wins, it feels like they might be hitting a bit of a ceiling, which sounds strange to say because LaMelo Ball is such a young player, 20 years old, and he looks like he's going to be a perennial all-star. But JB, he wanted to make this known yesterday. This is James Borrego after yesterday's game telling everyone that, will listen, this team's made strides and this is just the start of something. This season, we figured it out. Three years ago, we had 23 wins. Last year, 33 wins. This year, 43 wins. I'm extremely proud of that group. Our staff, um, you know, I could go down the line, but those players de- deserve a, a ton of credit for the growth we've seen. That's tough to do back-to-back-to-back, three years, 10-plus wins every year. But what, what I would say to James Borrego is this, and maybe I'll get the opportunity to tomorrow. James Borrego expected to join us on tomorrow's show before the play-in game on Wednesday, and we've got the Greensboro Swarm head coach, Jordan Surencamp, is going to join us at 4.30. Yes, you won 43 games and only won 33 and 23 the last two years. But let's not forget, we only played 65 last year and only played 72 the year before that. So you didn't get the full 82. It is an improvement. You had a winning record. That's not a small deal again. But when you look at the standings, which of the nine teams that are in front of them do you think has a a less optimistic outlook than Charlotte does? Like, in other words, whose outlook do you like Charlotte's more than the nine teams in front of them? I don't know. The, the financials, they're going to become restrictive. You still got to pay Nick Batum $9 million next year. Gordon Hayward over the next two seasons is going to make $30 million plus. Those scales, they're going to heighten the salary situation just for returning players close to $10 million. Montrez Harrell, he'll be a free agent. What do you do with that? Kelly Oubre is on the books for next year, which I think is a good thing for Charlotte, as is Mason Plumlee, $8 million. You got him at a good value. But Terry Rozier is going to make over $20 million a year. Miles Bridges, you got to try and figure out something long-term. You do have his bird rights, but... Uh, if you're planning to pay the guy, this is going to be a really interesting offseason because they couldn't hammer it down before the year. It does seem like it's this simple to me. Charlotte's only hope of taking another step, not being a number 10 seed in the play-in tournament next year, maybe being a team that wins a playoff series next year and doesn't participate in the play-in, it's Gordon Hayward. His injuries have sunk the last two seasons for Charlotte. Charlotte in March of 2021, was a number four seed in the Eastern Conference. But then Gordon got hurt, and they quickly sunk into the 9-10 play-in game. That's what Charlotte is. That's the difference between Charlotte with Gordon Hayward and Charlotte without him. And I think at 32 years old, it's really tough to rely on that guy being there moving forward when he hasn't played more than 72 games and averaged 15 points at a season in the last five years, which is the only time... He was an NBA All-Star. That was in 2017. So have we seen the best of Gordon Hayward? If the answer to that question is yes, well, 
I, I would have some concerns unless one of these draft picks are able to translate, like a Kai Jones or a James Booknight. And that's something I want to talk with Jordan Surencamp about when he joins us at 4.30 because he's gotten a really good, close look, as many have here in Greensboro, at what those players are. A regular little chatterbox. Already talking a mile a minute. You're on the drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Yeah, 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 yeah. Plenty of teams had their spring games over the weekend. Clemson, Boston College in the ACC, NC State, who we'll get to a little bit later on, East Carolina down in Greenville, America, and the North Carolina Tar Heels. The Heels, a fascinating team to me because they have a lot of talent. Mac Brown, I think, said truthfully, before last year even started when they were ranked 10th in the country, next year's team's going to be a more talented team without Sam Howe on it than this year's team will be. And that's before they even kicked it off against Virginia Tech and had that underwhelming season. I think what Max said is true, but it's going to be a totally different football team than the one we've seen the last three years because North Carolina's strength this year is going to be on defense. That's where all the talent is. We talk about how Mac has upped Carolina's recruiting game, top 15 classes the last few years. He's landed five top 50 players since returning to Chapel Hill. Most recently, Travis Shaw out of Grimsley High in Greensboro. Mac Brown's called him a transformative type of player for a program. Four of those five guys, like Travis, are on defense. And some of those guys are maturing into experienced players. This is going to be the third year for Tony Grimes, who is a first-team All-ACC caliber corner. And Des Evans, everybody in Chapel Hill who's been following spring practice have told me, this guy's going to break out next year. He's going to be one of the better power ends that they have, that there are in the ACC. Got a lot of talented guys. That D-line is loaded. Then in the transfer portal, they added Noah Taylor. That's a Virginia transfer who last year was third on the team in tackles for the Hoos. Watched them a couple times. That's a guy who stands out. And apparently, more than a couple people have told me that Noah Taylor's been the best defensive player for North Carolina this, this spring. And if that's true, given what we already know about triad guys like Javari Ritzy and Ra-Ra Dilworth and Travis Shaw who's going to be stepping in and perhaps even having an immediate impact and Tony Grimes and some of these others, Noah Taylor, if he's the guy, then North Carolina is going to have a strong defense. And the reason why I feel pretty comfortable saying the defense is going to be what they lean on this year, there are a lot of questions on the offensive side of the ball. Most importantly, who's the quarterback going to be? I feel pretty comfortable saying it'll be either Drake May, Luke May's younger brother, or Jacoby Criswell. But I don't know how to separate those two. And Mac didn't know when talking about it on Saturday. Is the offensive line going to be a lot better? You bring in a couple transfers to try and sure that up, but the Miami transfer is splitting snaps at center. And I don't know how to feel about the tackles. Are they going to be a lot better? I don't know. I don't think anybody knows right now. You might think, Josh, well, 
Offensively, you still got so many great skill guys. You're a Blitnikoff voter, right? Yeah, duh. Everybody knows that, right, Robert? Blitnikoff, let's go. <sighs> you want to tell Will about this? I don't even think he's in on this joke. All right, so Josh is a Blitnikoff voter. You know what Blitnikoff is, Will? I, no. Yeah, he votes on who the best wide receiver is because he was at ECU when Justin Hardy and Zay Jones had might, their seasons. Might as well be it has nothing to do with his like acumen about <laughs> figuring out who the best wide receiver is. It happened because he was at ECU when Justin Hardy and Zay Jones Because were of there. circumstance. No, I'm an expert. An expert. Jeez. <laughs> That's what I am. You know? So I you're going to hear this ad nauseum. I am a wide right. receiver evaluation god. <laughs> That's what I am. Anytime you hear about a college wide receiver, Josh is going to bring up that he is a Bolitnikov voter. Just throwing that out there. And I have been <laughs> writing emails to the people who choose this for the last two years to try to get him removed. What's up, Frank? Big fan of the show. Shouts to the Bolitnikov. Josh Downs. Uh, he is going to be a Bolitnikov candidate for next year. But after Downs, what do you got? Emory Simmons transferred out. Bo Corrales transferred out. He had an injury last year. Three others. I think one had a cancer diagnosis and a couple others transferred out. So, North Carolina, I'm looking at this roster. Counting Josh Downs, they have six scholarship wide receivers. Six. That might be the thinnest position they have on their roster. That might, that might sound like a lot to you if you're an NFL fan, but for college, if you've got six scholarship receivers... Uh, it's not not an ideal situation for you. North Carolina's strength is going to be defense, and it hasn't been the case the last handful of years. On Twitter at WSJS Sports, 336-777-1600. Tragic news from over the weekend. Dwayne Haskins was killed trying to cross a freeway, according to reports, um, early Saturday morning when he was hit by a dump truck. And the blowback towards a couple of noteworthy reporters became a story on Saturday. Dwayne Haskins' death should not have been controversial at all. It is devastatingly tragic. It is profoundly tragic. 24 years old, and Dwayne Haskins is gone. It's stunning when you really think about it. So that piece isn't really controversial at all. But then what Gil Brandt said was, and Gil Brandt was wrong here, talking about, this was on, on NFL radio on Sirius XM, when he was asked for his immediate reaction. This was within an hour, I think, of the story initially dropping, and this is a little bit of what he had to say. I hate any time anybody is killed or anybody dies, uh, but he was a guy that was living to be dead, so to speak. Uh, you know, they told him, don't, under any circumstances, leave school early. You just you just don't have the work habits. You don't have this. You don't have that. What did he do? Left school early. Uh, I always can remember this. Uh, we invited players to the draft. And he was one of the players we invited to the draft. And uh, he, we were told, no, uh, uh, we're, uh, we're going to have our own party. His own party was... Uh, a party at the bowling alley, charged him 50 bucks to get into the bowling alley for his party. 
Uh, it was always something, you know. Yes, this is a guy who was asking to die because he had $50 fare at his draft party and he wanted to be paid rather than going back to college. So Gilbrandt, way wrong. And here's a little bit more from Gilbrandt continuing to be way wrong. You know, it's a tragic thing. Anytime anybody dies, it's tragic. Uh, and especially when you're 24 years old and you got to hold your whole life ahead of you. Uh, but, uh, you know, maybe if he'd have stayed in school a year, uh, he wouldn't do silly things. I mean, I don't, when you're jogging on a highway, uh, you know, on a road like that, that leaves it open because I tell you, it's so, uh, guy has two drinks and he's just a little bit to, to the right side of the road uh, and, and gets hit and killed. It's easy to happen. So let's all be in agreement here. Gil Brandt, former scouting legend for the Cowboys, Hall of Fame scout, clearly wrong. That is just off the charts wrong and inappropriate. And he got called out for it. Gil Brandt needed to apologize for that. And he did. And this is what Gil said. This morning, while learning of Dwayne Haskins' passing, I reacted carelessly and insensitively on a radio interview. I want to apologize to Mr. Haskins' family and anyone who heard my poor choice of words. I truly apologize. My heart goes out to his family at this difficult time. That's an apology. So, my issue is... So, we agree that this is terrible. My issue is the internet. What happens after that? Because I hate this trend that no apology ever will be accepted again because it it does it defeats the purpose of wanting somebody to apologize. Nobody, why would anybody apologize if no one's ever going to think it's sincere because people got mad at you, which warranted you wanting to apologize? Oh, you're only saying that because people got mad? Yeah, that's true. But if people didn't get mad, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't be as self-reflective to want to feel to apologize. And then it gets... People trying to one-up each other in virtue signal. Let's do the thing where I say how terrible Gil Brandt's comments were when really what I'm trying to say is I'm pointing this out to people know that I'm better than Gil Brandt is. I'm a better person than he is by pointing out that Gil Brandt is saying terrible things here. Which, by the way, again, they're terrible. And then people have to one-up it. This guy should be fired! Yes! Let's fire the... Long-time retired 90-year-old Gil Brandt. That's a smart take. Let's fire the retired 90-year-old. Let's do that. Sounds right. Then someone said, how about we take him out of Canton? This is a serious thing. Someone wrote this, like a story. Hey, Gil Brandt shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame anymore. Really? That's what we're doing? Okay. Same standard. We... There are a few names I will... If you want to do the let's remove a guy from Canton thing, my my list isn't starting at Gil Brandt. I wouldn't start a list at all. But if you said, Josh, you have to take someone from the Hall of Fame, someone out. Gil Brandt's not the first name I'm thinking of. I might go to one Orenthal James Simpson first before we get to Gil Brandt. Gil Brandt said something I didn't like that was insensitive and terrible. Okay, and he apologized for it. And then here's the funny thing that the internet does. Gil Brandt apologized. Man, oh, it wasn't sincere. You don't really mean it. And then the same folks will say, well, why didn't Adam Schefter apologize? Hmm. Why would, it, why would Adam Schefter apologize if 
<laughs> he sees what just happened with Gilbrand. Also, this is going to be an unpopular take, and I don't care, frankly. I don't think what Adam Schefter said was wrong. I don't. This is what he tweeted, and he deleted it because he saw that the blowback was such that maybe it's better to reframe it, try to be on the better side of it. Dwayne Haskins, comma, a standout at Ohio State before struggling to catch on with Washington and Pittsburgh in the NFL, died this morning when he got hit by a car in South Florida per his agent Cedric Saunders. Haskins would have turned 25 years old on May the 3rd. Oh, you had to include the struggling to catch on? If this was a byline, like if the AP wrote the story, this would be the first paragraph that's written. You write Dwayne Haskins. You say what he most notably did. He was a standout at Ohio State. This is journalism 101. Before struggling to catch on with Washington and Pittsburgh, if you wrote that as a lead in your AP story, nobody has an issue because that's what we do. It's news. But since, and usually AP doesn't have what the writer's name is for briefs like this, you know. but since it's Twitter and there are a bunch of former athletes that do not like Adam Schefter and the powers that power that he has, you're going to have a lot of people blow in and say, Adam Schefter views us as property. He views us as a product rather than people because of this tweet. He should apologize just so we can say that we don't accept that apology and shame you forever. That's essentially what we're saying here. And also NFL players. You can't have it both ways. You can't play the card of, oh, you can't treat us as products. You can't treat it. We want to be treated as people. You're not treating us as people here while also expecting people worship at your feet. Like when every day on the calendar, NFL guys act like because of the egos that exist here, that they are holier than thou, that they are gods walking on earth. Kind of like I'm a wide receiver evaluating God as a Bolitnikoff voter. Yeah. So I don't think Adam Schefter owes anybody an apology. And I'm glad Adam Schefter didn't apologize. Would I have worded it that way? Probably not. But I'm also not Adam Schefter. I didn't have any issue with that. Gil Brand had a lot of issues with. But he apologized. And I'm going to accept his apology. Rather than virtue signal and say that a 90-year-old retired man should be fired. That's just me. A man is a lunatic. Smells like a gym bag. The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. I think it's about time to put some respect on Devin Leary's name at NC State. The Wolfpack at its spring game over the weekend. And here's first half stats, Robert, for Leary. 355 passing yards, three touchdowns in one half. 26 of 34. This is my issue I have with spring games, though. Quarterbacks can't be hit. The format's not the same as a game. And who's to say the reason why your quarterback looks so great is because your quarterback's awesome and your defense is just, or that your defense is just horrid. How much do you enjoy spring football talk? Uh, I remember at ECU when we would have the spring game, yep. someone did a write-up of the comments from Scotty Montgomery three years in a row. That was us. And every year it was virtually identical. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, everybody looks great. We're having great practices. Like, they, this is the best they've looked all year. We're going to have two or three running backs who are great. Wide receivers are going to be – and you could do this. Phil, 
fill in whatever coach you care yeah, to. Yeah, it's not just ECU. It's everybody. Every, every coach is saying the same thing. You would think there are going to be 130 teams that make bowl games this year. Because the spring game is like in, is there to sell season tickets. It's for them to be like, oh, man, we're going to be so good. You don't want to miss a game. Except for like. Some teams have to be bad. <laughs> like somebody is going to have to lose some of these games. But I don't think NC State's going to be that team because they got the quarterback. And plus, when is NC State known to have bad things happen to them? On Twitter at WSJS Sports 336-777-1600 be in the phone number. Devin Leary, you look at all these different off-season rankings that people put out, and I'm not just talking about for teams, but also positionally. ESPN put out one with six or seven quarterbacks, or Todd McShay did. Here are some quarterbacks to watch for next year's class. And NC State fans got so mad when Sam Hartman was included on that list and Devin Leary wasn't. I cover both. I think I'd prefer Devin Leary over Sam Hartman. It's not necessarily a shot at Hartman. It's more, well, what Devin Leary is doing at State is more uh, translatable to the NFL than what Sam Hartman's running at Wake Forest. Not meant to be a shot at Sam. He's incredibly gifted. And Wake Forest, they're probably going to have a great season too. More hype surrounds them than I can remember at any point in their history. But I think I'd prefer Devin Leary, and he's still got weapons, even though Emeka Mezzi's not there anymore. Like, he was throwing the ball to Porter Rooks a little bit, and I watched some of the highlights. State, they have a ton of talent. Here's Dave Doran on how his team is dealing with some of the expectations being attached to them this offseason. Yeah, they're very motivated. You know, I think they've heard about what you're talking about since we got back and the, the way too early everything. You know, I think we got to watch that happen across the road at that other school. And we understand that, you know, if you don't take care of business, it doesn't matter what people say about you. So. Our guys have a chip on their shoulder. They're very motivated. Uh, we didn't get to the you know, ACC championship, as you guys know, last year. We got a lot to prove still. So I think you'll see a very motivated roster when we get back out there. They saw some of the things happening to the school down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They saw the expectations attached to North Carolina. I think we're going to be hearing that quite a bit from Doran and Dave Clawson going into the year. Well, we saw what happened with Carolina last year. Pick six, or pick 10th, excuse me. And they ended up not being that good of a football team. Do whatever you can to motivate your team. I should also point out that Dave Doran is still rocking a beard uh, here in April. Still rocking the beard strong, Robert. What do you think about it? It makes sense. It's still a little chilly outside. I would imagine once we get into like the end of May... Uh, beginning and then in the summer with June and stuff, it'll probably shed itself, and he'll want a little cleaner face to look at. It was cold this weekend. Did did everybody have their uh, tire pressure light go on in their car? Or is that just me and my dad and my brother? I recently got new tires, so I didn't have to. I did not have to worry about that. But I could uh, understand why it would be an an issue this weekend. Yeah, is it wrong? This is. Not something that happened yesterday, but this is just a conversation I had with Sarah Bradford. Is it wrong for a guy to make a girl, a woman, put air in the tires? Is that a masculine male thing that the guy needs to get out of the car? 
Did you make Sarah Bradford put air? No, in the no. Tires? I already said this did not happen. Okay. Good. This is something we talked about before, though. Josh, it is your birthright as a man to show your butt crack to everyone else that's it's at true. the gas station. It's so true. There is there is no more opportune time no. to see a man's butt crack than when he is filling air in the tires. You can't see me right now, but everybody knows the position where you're trying to do the legs are both stretched out, and you're trying to see what pressure the knob has of that machine. Are we at? Uh, I need to see uh, through how did we the go window. down? I need to it was see at through 27 a second ago. Yeah, oh, it went down. And then, oh, man, is air going into it properly? Uh, is this an accurate read? And then you, you're you on the other side of the car, and you need to position yourself so you see how much air is left in the thing while also having the thing connected. It's so, a task. So don't let Sarah Bradford ever do that. No. Okay? I, and I would Where's even go- the line, though? Is fill up gas. Yes, I would say that's also your job. Yes, I would. Pumping gas? Maybe this is. What year is it? I I mean, maybe it's not the year, but it's just like a respect thing. I would, as soon as I was able to comprehend what the hell pumping gas was, I have never let my mom pump gas, a woman pump gas for me. Uh, I I guess that's just like a thing I was raised, but I, yeah, I think it's a, a foregone conclusion that I'm going to be the one that pumps the gas. Jordan Zurichamp going to join us, coach of the Swarm. I'm going to run this past him just to see what he thinks, but I'll throw it to you in the audience first. We haven't really had a lot of time to open up phone calls real quick, but we'll do it right now. 336-777-1600. Tire pressure gauge, is it on right now? Number two, unacceptable to let a woman in the car get out and fill your tires with air, and then the third level, gas. I think I'm with you on the the tire pressure. I think we we agree on that. But when it comes to pumping gas, no. I'm sorry. There was one time there was a terrible storm that rolled through, and I still made Sarah Bradford get out and pump the gas. One time, because I did it earlier. Yeah, you shouldn't have said it that proud. You shouldn't have said it like, yeah, it, it was like a daggum monsoon. No, I, I still made that girl get out and pump that true. gas. It's true. It happened. Nah, it happened. Because I, I, I don't yeah. think it's not proud. It's I didn't want to get rained on, damn it. I'm no. not Get out the car and pump no, that gas. I, it's your car. I, I don't view that as like a chivalrous thing to do is to pump gas. Maybe I can see it. When you're putting air in your tires, but pumping gas, I don't, I don't see it that way. I don't. But three three six seven 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 one six hundred. Tell me why I'm wrong, or tell me why you agree. Getting back to football, actually, let's go to Joey in Thomasville. Then we'll get back to football. Joey in Thomasville, where do you stand on this? Josh, I got to tell you something, brother. Okay, you don't live in the north. We are in the south. Mm-hmm. And in the South, as a gentleman, yeah. we take care of our women. We pump the gas. Matter of fact, I've been married to my wife for over 30 years. Okay? I can't remember the last time that she put gas in her car. I keep a check on it. She has her own vehicle. But I always know whenever she's getting low and I take her car out and I fill that car up with gas. I check her tire pressure. I check her oil. I, I get the car serviced. I do all of that stuff. That's just what we do down here in the South. All right. Thank you, Joey. I can ensure you that this segment, not going to make it in the best of. Not because I don't think it's any good, but I know Sarah Bradford listens to the best of podcast. 
You can also tell Joey is a good old Southern boy because he vehicle. Did, he did not say vehicle. He said vehicle. Mm-hmm. If you hear vehicle like it sounds like some kind of icy pop, <laughs> then you know that you're in the South. I grew up in the South, by the way. I am a Southerner. You might not be able to hear it in my voice, although B Dot says I have a Southern accent. Do you hear it? I, I don't hear a Southern accent. Uh, I'm sure compared to someone else, you would. Okay, but. I mean, also, I don't think I have a Southern accent until I get on a video game and then everyone asks how my cousin's doing. What a weekend it was in Greenville, America, where the Pirates, they they beat Wichita State in the game that Darren Vaught was calling and Cliff Godwin got thrown out of that game. And it was the same day as the spring football game down there, too. And Harold Varner was in the mix until he wasn't. He shot 80 on Saturday before shooting 69 yesterday. Did you hear anything about this spring game? Anything to add here on the Pirates? I heard that they're going to have two to three running backs that are going to be great. Yes, they're going to have right. like six to seven wide receivers. Did you see it. they handed out bull rings? Oh, yeah, I did see that. Yeah, it seemed a little odd. <sighs> Come on. they. I guess, I mean, it was a big deal that they went to a bowl game. They hadn't been to one since Ruffin McNeil was on the sideline, and Lincoln Riley was calling plays, but they didn't even play in the game. It was canceled, and that sucks. It's terrible that the military bowl didn't happen. But you're going to give out bowl rings when you the bowl game didn't happen? Come on. And you don't, you don't get the ring if you lose the game, yes? Like, no one's handing out, here's your bowl ring when you lose in one of these bowls, Right? No, I wouldn't think so. Like, if it was like, here's your participation ring. Here you go, guys. It's a blow pop. Like, no, I don't think they would do that. But, like, you would think that NC State would get a ring, right? I don't know. I mean, they're 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 already claiming it as a win. So, hell yeah, they're getting getting a ring. And this is totally not about getting some of those contract incentives that involve getting the 10 wins and winning a bowl. That's not what this is about at all. No, this is about the kids, man. That's right. It's about the kids. Just like Robert being here this week and his succession plan. Not about Robert Walsh at all. I don't want any adulation. I don't want any uh, kind gifts or remarks. I'm just here to uh, make sure that Will uh, is ready to go. That's why I'm running the show and he's just sitting over there talking, you know. Will, do do you feel that's the case? Yeah. Of course he feels that way. Of course he does. I mean, we've done a great job here about bringing him along. Not too much pressure. He gets to meet the team. Gets to meet the guys. Not only did you talk over him, you turned off his microphone, too. It's <laughs> a great move. What power move. Yeah, uh-huh. You're in the chair. You're in the big chair for now. What traits do the Hornets' younger draft picks possess that could translate to the league long term? The head coach of the Greensboro Swarm is Jordan Surencamp, and he'll answer that question when he joins the show next. Weird. Weird. A little weird. I know it's weird. Just go with it. This is The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. The head coach of the Greensboro Swarm is Jordan Surencamp. He joins us now. WSJS Sports. In 15 minutes, we'll circle back to the Masters. Maybe get to my experience at a Charlotte FC match yesterday. Got a chance to check that out for the first time. We'll get to that in a little bit. Jordan, so 
the swarm season ended a little over a week ago. How quickly after the swarm season ends were you with the Hornets on the road with James Borrego's group? Oh, man. Our season ended on Saturday afternoon in Toronto. Uh, we flew back into Greensboro Sunday morning, and then I was at practice Monday morning with Charlotte and then on the road later that afternoon with the team on their way to Miami. So not a lot of breathing room for me. Still trying to figure out what day it is. Uh, but was was happy to be able to get back. It is Monday. Just going to help you out on that real quick. How, explain, <laughs> well, the, explain this to me real quickly. You and James Borrego, I, I assume, have a really good relationship, and there needs to be a relationship there because you guys in Greensboro are developing the players that we're seeing in Charlotte, and that kind of all has to work together in concert. But explain to me just how much synergy there has to be between you and Borrego with two-way guys like McDaniels, let's say. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's um, extremely important, and it's something that, you know, my relationship with JB, even going back to when I was the video guy for him, has, has always been something extremely important. Uh, and, and that synergy makes up a lot of what uh, we focused on in Greensboro and a, and a lot of the things that, that we tried to grow our young guys into doing and to develop, you know. Um, at the end of the day, our job was to not just get these young guys better to be able to play in the NBA um, in general, but also to be able to take that next step and be thrown into a game in Charlotte and be able to execute the pick-and-roll coverages, to be able to execute um, schematically what we do on both sides of the floors, to be able to um, understand our terminology and just kind of the transparency between um, what they do in Charlotte and then what we did this year in Greensboro has a lot to do with the synergy and the relationship that I have with JB and the coaching staff as a whole, and just the familiarity of, um, you know, not just what we're teaching from a fundamental aspect, but even within games, certain adjustments, certain game planning things that I was able to do this year in Greensboro were very similar to things that would have been done here in Charlotte as well. So um, it was extremely important. And, and obviously from a personal standpoint, you know, the relationship was something that I really value and, um, and it helped me get through the season as well as a first-year head coach. Before the Hornets fly out to Atlanta for the play-in game on Wednesday, you guys fly out. We'll catch up with JB on tomorrow's show. Jordan uh, Surenkamp, head coach of the Swarm, joining us here. Give me one, just limiting it to one. Don't do the thing where I ask you for one and you list off a ton of different things. Limiting it to one trait that James Booknight possesses that you think could translate to an NBA career long-term, what stands out the most? One trait that Book Knight has. Ooh, well, it's, I, I appreciate you limiting me to one because Book provides a lot of those traits. Uh, yeah. if, I, if I had to say one, it's the, his explosive ability to score the basketball um, and, and to do so at, at, the three, at three separate levels, you know, whether it's at the rim with his athleticism, whether it's his touch, you know, in the mid-range, in the touch-range area, uh, against bigs at the rim and then his ability to, to shoot off the bounce or in catch-and-shoot situations. You know, um, he did it at UConn. We were able to see it in, in the games that he did it in Greensboro as well. Just his natural feel for the game and ability to score the basketball um, is something that I think it sticks out the most in terms of just his transferable skills. But, but like you said, I had to pick one, and, and I think Book has a lot of different things in his pocket that, 
that he can do and provide value with with the Hornets. Okay, same question, but to the other first-round pick from last year, Kai Jones, who we saw towards the end of the year in Charlotte. Yeah, so I, I think one thing that's a lot of value um, that you see in today's NBA is the, the ability to put pressure on the rim. And, and while Book is able to do it with the ball in his hands, um, Kai's able to do it with his screening ability and his ability to roll, um, the lob threats. Uh, you know, it, it's a very simple thing. Um, his athleticism, his length, those types of things uh, lend to that. And it's something that, you know, as a coach, you look at a lot, just what his screening and rolling does for the, your offense as a whole, whether it's pulling in weak side, whether it's, you know, causing threats at the rim for lobs, those types of things. Um, that, that, to me, is his most transferable skill right now. And it's something that, you know, with a guy like LaMelo Ball and Miles Bridges, Terry Rozier, you know, those guys who are able to pass the ball, um, and are multifaceted offensively here in Charlotte, that's a huge piece um, to the puzzle that could help down the stretch. Jordan Surenkamp just completed his first season as the head coach at the Greensboro Swarm, and he's joining us here on WSJS Sports. I remember we chatted before, Jordan, and we were telling you about restaurants you should be visiting in the triad, and uh, you specifically cookout trays you might need to explore uh, when you're out <laughs> on the road, that type of thing. But how much... Has Greensboro felt like home to you? Like, I know your folks, I, I, I was popping in and out of a few games, college and pro, over the last month and a half or so. I know your folks were in town to catch when you guys won a few in a row last month. Uh, what's the experience been like? How much has it felt like home? Uh, it, it, it picked up quickly, and it felt like home from, from the moment that I, I moved into my apartment there, and it and a lot of that has to do with the swarm organization and, and the business side and those, those guys and girls that are on the ground there every day, uh, you know, working to make the organization um, continue to be a center point of, you know, what Greensboro is about. Uh, but it's also the people. You know, I had the opportunity to go out and try different restaurants or mm. um, engage with season ticket holders and people that have been around and supporting the swarm for a lot of years. And just the, 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 the character and the kindness and, the welcoming and the warmth that I felt uh, from day one there was awesome. And it's something that, you know, obviously excited to be back in Charlotte and, and be with the Hornets, but it's, you know, something that I'm really going to miss over the next couple months is just the people that and the relationships that I built um, around the Greensboro community and just the different things I was able to experience while I was there. Jordan Surikamp with us here, Greensboro Swarm head coach. Earlier this week, or I guess this must have been late last week, we, we went back to something we talked about in October. When I say we, I mean as, us as a show. And LaMelo had a terrific rookie year in Charlotte. And it was about 15, 6, and 6 he averaged his rookie season. And we were thinking, well, what's a realistic benchmark for him to make a great jump in year two? And we settled on 20 points a game, 7 rebounds, 7 assists. That'd be remarkable if he could do that in year two. Well, looking at the stats, he's at 20 and about eight and seven, when you get to see this guy behind the scenes, now that you're up with Charlotte after a season with the Swarm, what area of LaMelo's game has most grown, you think? Uh, you know, obviously from a skill standpoint, he continues to, to improve day in and day out, and, and his commitment to doing that is, is extremely noticeable uh, behind the scenes, and I think it's, it's shown with his play. Uh, but one of the areas that, that's really you know, caught my attention is his, uh, you know, the maturity that he is starting to show, uh, not just for being a point guard and a, 
and you know an all-star and this guy that can come out and make unbelievable passes and reads and score the basketball at a high level, but now turning into somebody that has to run a team and not just run any team, but a team that's in the playing game, uh, a team that's pushing to make the, the playoffs here. Can you give uh, me an example of that? When you say maturity and leading the team, what specifically are you talking about? Yeah, so on the floor, you know, there's there are situations where it's good off of misses for him to push the ball and, and use his athleticism and kind of that exciting style of play that he's used to and that we, we all have come to love about him, right? And, and you know, score the ball at will and, and make some of those highlight passes. And then there's also times where, you know, we've had two or three rough possessions offensively and we're not getting a ton of stops that it's time to slow slow the ball down a little bit, get us into offenses, get us into our spacing that Coach Borrego talks about all the time, give us different reads and different options, um, helping guys execute on the floor, uh, being a, you know, point of, um, you know, emphasis on the defensive end, you know, being able to guard uh, multiple positions and really lock into what we're doing schematically. And, and a lot of that comes with maturity. And, and for a guy that is his age and is as talented as he is, you know, it's something that he's really bought into over the last year and something that I think is pretty evident uh, when you watch him. But it all starts behind the scenes, like you mentioned. You know, his, his willingness to watch extra film and have conversations with Coach Borrego and, and to buy into what the coaching staff is teaching him and, and teaching him how to continue to become a better leader and a floor general. And I think that that's something that's taken off this year uh, with LaMelo, aside from just all of the um, statistical things that you see night in and night out from him. Jordan Surenkamp, Swarm Coach, kind enough to join us today. Before I let you go, so I'm getting lit up right now by the audience, by people in the studio, because apparently I am not as chivalrous as I thought I was. I was in agreement with the with the fellas here that you know when things get cold and the 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 the, the, the air pressure for your tire light turns on, maybe the fellas need to get out and fill up fill up the the, the tire with air, and that's fine. But apparently, it, this was news to me. It is chivalrous to to fill up the gas tank in terms of not letting the lady get out and pump gas. The guy needs to get out and pump the gas. This was news to me. Jordan Sorenkamp, see, what is the right answer here in your mind? Like, is it okay if the guy's like, you know what, you you could, you could get out and pump the gas? You know, I, I, was, I was born in Indiana, the Midwest, uh, and was born with the, the semi-southern Midwestern traits and yeah. values. And, yeah. Uh, was raised on a little bit of chivalry. So for sure. me, it's you always open the door for the lady and you always pump the gas. Oh, see, always open the door. But I, I, I was never, I guess, taught the uh, the pumping gas piece. But this is why we learn things here on the drive today. You see, I learn things from you in terms of basketball and I learn things in terms of chivalry as well. Congratulations on your first season with the Swarm and thanks for making the time with us. Hopefully we can meet face-to-face sometime soon. Absolutely. Absolutely, Josh. Thanks for having me. You got it. That's Jordan Surenkamp, Swarm Coach, joining us here on WSJS Sports. So I'm just wrong on this. Plain and simple, I'm just wrong. Next, you're going to tell me you don't throw down your jacket over a large puddle so she doesn't get her feet wet? You don't do that either? Coming up! I got one word for him and one word only. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. 
Robert, I'm not going to ask you to pick favorites, but I know back when we did the old show about five years ago, BG was a guy that you would talk to before we got on air, and there'd be times I'd look at you, and you're still talking to BG while I'm trying to talk to BG on air because you want to pick his brain about Toronto Raptors things or random things altogether. So it must be hitting you some type of way that this is your last week on the show. We got Will Dalton in here as well. It's a full-on succession plan that we're working through here. And this is the last time we're going to do Out Precise the Geist with Brian Geisinger. Yeah, it's tough, man. Uh, whenever you would tell me to like, hey, we got to come up with a segment for this guy. We got to come up with this. I I already knew what I wanted to do for Geis because I always thought that like, as smart as you are, it it never compared to how smart you actually are. You know what I mean? So I wanted a way to kind of let Geis not only flex his knowledge because I felt like he was always smarter than what we got in that little succinct piece of time it's that we had like him for. It's kind of like an iceberg where you see the head of the iceberg, but it's, you know, the, the cliche, it's the tip of the iceberg. Underneath, you just don't get the full BG wealth of knowledge on the show. I'm serious. And, and guys, you could sink the Titanic if we're talking <laughs> about a proverbial iceberg. So before we get too touchy-feely and lovey-dovey, uh, I always appreciated uh, your knowledge. I always appreciated uh, your creativity. And I always appreciated your patience with me uh, coming up with these crazy off-the-wall questions. And it was never too crazy for you, dude. Um you're one of the smartest people that's ever been on the show, man. And uh, I, I will greatly miss working with you. You said a lot of nice words there. And uh, I, this is something that I've talked about with with, uh, with people that work in the industry, radio industry as well, uh, Robert. But you are one of the more creative minds I've ever, I've ever been able to work with. And I've uh, enjoyed getting to be friends with you even though we we you know the interactions we have are uh are uh, are you know sort of like not your normal nexus of, of a friendship but enjoyed getting to work with you looking forward to being friends for for a long time and, and certainly talking ball and talking raptors who are uh heading in for an interesting first round playoff series here but no i just consider myself lucky to work with you guys and as someone that has produced radio before i know it's a it's a wacky it's a wacky uh, job and uh, it comes with its own challenges. Yeah. So patience is a virtue in that stuff. It's always been a pleasure, guys. Yeah. So we'll get the out precise the guys in a bit. Will Dalton, you got big shoes to step into. We're still going to continue out precise the guys beyond Robert Walsh, but you got to find good enough questions that might be able to stump BG, which is really difficult to do. Let's actually start with college basketball, BG. Last week I started working on because I'm a crazy person. Er, way too soon ACC uh, basketball rankings that were solely based on what the rosters currently look like and trying to project what they might be pre-pulling guys out of the transfer portal. So teams that obviously have a lot of guys in the portal right now, there's more uncertainty with, but there are some teams that haven't had a lot of guys go in. If I were to take the two final four teams off the board, North Carolina and Duke, which ACC roster way before things are going to shake out, obviously. Do you like the most for next year? I am intrigued. There's a couple to be intrigued by. Uh, Virginia is one that comes to mind very quickly. Like you got the commitment that Jaden Gardner, all ACC type forward, <clears throat> and the guy that can give them a hub uh, on offense is going to be back. You know Reese Beekman's going to be back. 
best defender in the ACC, and a guy that they're starting to turn the keys over to more and more. Armand Franklin closed the season down playing really, really good basketball. Um, and he, he was solid within the season. They just needed him to shoot more threes or shoot threes better, significantly better, I guess, next season. They have not lost that much in the transfer portal. Uh, you know, a couple of walk-ons, uh, Carson McCorkle, Caden Shedrick is going to be back and is probably one of the most athletic players, certainly one of the most athletic front court guys in the ACC and probably returns as like the best rim protector in the league. Um, you know, with Mark Williams likely headed to the NBA and who knows where Manny Bates is going to end up. And they've got a great recruiting class coming in and Tony Bennett is a great coach. So I would say Virginia. Outside of that, I think FSU is a team to watch. And I mean, losing, they've had some turnover, even on the coaching staff, losing Coach Young to Missouri is a big deal. He's an excellent coach, excellent recruiter. So that's a tough blow. Do we know if they're going to lose Matthew Cleveland? So that's, that's, that's what it comes down to. It's like, do of John Butler, Matthew Cleveland, Jalen Morley, if like th- all three of those guys come back or two of those guys come back, then they return some of the best NBA type talent in the ACC, like not even close almost, you know? Um, and so, and, you know, we'll see what happens with guys like Malik Osborne. So FSU is like a wild card team. I think Notre Dame is kind of interesting because no one's in the portal for them. Um, very experienced roster. It does look like Paul Atkinson's going to go to the draft though. He's participating later this week in the PIT up in, <clears throat> up in Virginia. You know, Blake Wesley's leaving for the draft too, but <clears throat> Notre Dame is a good, uh, as a big time recruit and JJ Starling coming in. And if you get the right mix of veterans to return, you hit it on another guy in the transfer portal. That's kind of interesting. And then the last team I would want to mention um, would be someone like Virginia tech. Um, you probably, you know, like Kevin Aluma's playing in the PIT as well. I think we're not sure quite yet about what Justin Mutz is going to do, but assuming you get some mixture of Hunter Couture, Nahima Lean, if Mutz comes back, um, David Gasson, who had some nice moments for them this season, and then Sean Padula, the freshman point guard that started to really play kind of better than Storm Murphy at times uh, by the end of the season. So I would say Virginia <clears throat> and Virginia Tech. Um, and then look, I mean, we'll just wait and see what happens with someone like Jake LaRavia at Wake Forest. Cause if he comes back, you feel pretty good about it. If he remains in the draft with Alanis Williams, well, then Wake's going to have to reset, uh, much like they did a year ago. Over the weekend, Duke landed, or I guess it would have been Thursday night and Friday night. John Shire landed two more five-star recruits, which gives him eight for this year's class and next year's class combined. Just mm-hmm. how crazy is what John Shire's doing right now. Yeah, it's really without precedent. And, and if people would like to read more about it, there's a story on the, on the front page of accsports.com where I talked about this a little bit. And yeah, I mean, he's set to stack up the number one recruiting classes in back-to-back cycles in 2022, where, where he has four of the top 15 prospects in that class and five of the top 60. And now this 2023 class that has really, really come together and is, looks dynamic, five commitments, um, all five inside the top 30 of that class. And yeah, I don't know. I just don't think there's a, I don't think there's a historical precedent for that. It goes to show you all season long, Coach K talked about succession and the importance of that for recruiting. It's important to remember that when K announced his retirement last June, so 10 months ago, well less than 10 months ago, Duke didn't have a single 2022 commitment at the time of that. So look what they've done just since they flipped the switch to that. 
Um, it's incredible and it allows them to perhaps keep an eye on the transfer portal and look at ways to, you know, round out the roster for the next two seasons, it allows them to get a jump start on 2024 recruiting. And it allows them to kind of see where they're at with guys like Trevor Keels, Jeremy Roach. What do those guys want to do with the 2022 NBA draft? So it, um, it's incredible. It's a terrific achievement. And now all that's left to do is to play basketball with those guys. So, you know, there's plenty of, of hard work on the horizon. But, man, Shire has really set himself up to have incredible success out the gate. See, you talk a lot about the Hornets on a pod that you do. Brian Geisiger with us here from accsports.com. He's on Twitter at bgeis underscore bird. And while this year has been a better season than the last couple of years we've seen, I saw James Borrego yesterday say, we won 43 games this year. Last year we won 33. The year before that we won 23. Well, you didn't play more than 72 games in either of the last two years, so playing 82 certainly benefited you. But having a winning record, that is something that's important. LaMelo Ball has taken a step to close to 28-7 and this year, which is not a small feat. But when I look at how this team is made up, they have been trending upwards the last few years, but... When you look at the East, I don't know which of the nine teams in front of them. I like the Hornets' outlook better than. And in addition to that, the financials are restrictive as such, where Rozier's going to make more, Gordon Hayward's going to make more next year, Dick Batum still has to make $9 million next year. Somehow he's still on the books. And you got to figure out a way to pay Miles Bridges and potentially Montrez Harrell if you want to stick him around. Is this as simple as... Gordon Hayward needs to be available and play well for Charlotte to improve moving forward, or are you more optimistic than that? Yeah, I mean, they're in a tough spot because they 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 have decided to do the rebuild and, like, kind of contend at the same time, right? They drafted LaMelo, and then a week, literally a week later, they signed Gordon Hayward, right? So this happened quickly. Um, and then the offseason after that, they extend Terry Rozier to a, to a, a long long five-year extension on top of his final year. It's basically a you know six-year contract with Terry Rozier. Um, and that's tough because they really kind of like short-circuited the rebuild as soon as they got LaMelo Ball. And certainly they had, they had, they'd stacked before that P.J. Washington and Cody Martin and Miles Bridges. So they've drafted well the last couple of years, which is good. I'm not too, too out on it. Like they still have most of their picks. If the Pelicans make a play the playoffs, they'll get an extra first round pick this season outside, just outside the lottery. Um, the cap space, look, I think cap space, and obviously you'd like to have it, but it can be like a little overrated at times, especially in a team like Charlotte. That's not, you know, it's one thing if they were using the cap space to like take on bad contracts and add assets, which I would like for, I would have liked for them to have done that, but they didn't want to go that route. They wanted to use it on, bringing in Gordon Hayward. That's why Nick Batum is still on the books. As you may remember, they had to stretch Nick Batum's the remaining $27 million he had on his contract in 2020. So they had to take that $27 million divided up by three. And so three year payments of $9 million each. So one more season of dead money with Nick Batum for the Hornets. Um, look, they can pay bridges, whatever, because they have his bird rights. It's going to get expensive. But it is what it is. You don't have to worry about an extension kicking in yet for P.J. Washington or LaMelo Ball. I've got a little more time on that. My guess is that Harold doesn't come back, but I, I suppose it's not completely out of the out of the equation. They've got to figure out what they're doing long term at center. And I don't think, you know, I don't think that's going to be Harold as much as he has helped them out this season. 
And I still think contracts can be tradable. I mean, we'll see what they do with this Hayward deal. And uh, look, it stinks because he's actually a pretty good basketball fit for this roster. In the last two seasons when he's been on the court, he's been impactful and good. And they've basically been like a top to six to seven Eastern Conference team when they've had Hayward. Um, but yeah, missing basically 50% of his time in Charlotte is not ideal. And he's owed, oh boy, you know, $60 million (laughs) over the next two seasons. So it's tough. Um, but we'll see what they can do with Hayward and, uh, but Bridges is going to come back and all that matters is they have LaMelo and Bridges. That's really like what it ultimately comes down to. Even if this like early window with LaMelo is maybe closing quicker than you would like it to. While we're talking NBA. With Brian Geisinger, let's get to Out Precise the Geis featuring Robert Walsh one last time. Brian Geisinger is a basketball genius. Josh Graham uh, is not. I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm big, you're little. I'm right, you're wrong. Listen as Brian launches half-court shots and Josh, well, double dribbles all over himself. And there's nothing you can do about it. Get off the bench and try to Out Precise the Geis. All right, as Ric Flair said, with a tear in my eye. I'll be in this ring till I die. And I guess this is the day I die, fellas. This is the last out precise the guys. I made it a good one, hopefully. And a good one in my standards is uh, guys wiping the floor with Josh. So we'll see if he can do that today. Uh, and we're going to start off with Kevin Durant. With 27 points on Sunday, Kevin Durant became the second oldest player to average 30 points a game. Only behind LeBron James, who averaged 30.3 last season. All I need to know is how many times has Durant led the league in points per game in his career? Feels like he could have done it every year. (laughs) (laughs) He he was in the mix for a lot of it. Like any number is like not enough. Um, I will go with, uh, I'll go with five. I got three. Uh, I don't know how we're going to split this because Kevin Durant did this four times. 2009, he averaged 30 points. 2010, 27 points. 2011, 28 points. 2013, 32 points. For, so almost a four-year span, he led the league in scoring every year. So the first question is a push. We're going to have to see if we can split this on the last yeah. two. Hey, I went to a soccer match yesterday that allows for ties. Maybe we can allow for a tie. No, no. Okay. I'll come up with a question off my butt before that yeah. we, we get and finish this thing with a tie. Uh, I feel like we should factor in one of the uh, – I feel like Durant led one of the Olympics that he played in and scored. Oh, so <laughs> We're not doing that. Nope. Okay. All right. Get out of right. here. Uh, next one up. Uh, it's no secret the Suns were dominant this year, but just how dominant. Their road record was better than every other team's home record. Yeah. This has only been done <laughs> once before in the NBA. Uh, what was their road record? Yeah, uh, it was uh, it was thirty-two and nine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had twenty-eight written down, and I know I'm already done. Let's so. go! Yeah. My Sorry dude that knew one. that. Yeah, Josh, I knew that one. Um, and yeah, look, man, look. Shout out to Monty Williams. He should be coach of the year. Shout out to Devin Booker. He should be first team all NBA. And shout out Chris Paul, the point god. Probably should be on one of these all NBA rosters. And um, yeah, just a complete team, a super fun team. And I cannot wait to see what they look like in the playoffs. Just hell of a run. You got to give it to them. They were third. They won 32 games on the road and 32 games at home this season, each for 64 wins. That's bonkers stuff. You remember when North Carolina was leading by 16 a week ago and they ticked off Kansas and it was a 31 to 10 run? 
Well, that's BG getting back the way that Kansas got back. Oh, you're going to push? Well, I'm going to name it right on the number and box you out completely. He didn't even want you to have a chance to answer. No, it's like, what's next, please? I I keep up with that. I mean, I watch that team because of Chris. So other than the Hornets, there's no NBA team I watch more than than the Suns. All right, I still have a shot to get a push, I guess. I don't know. Well, there's no team in the NBA that I talk to guys about more than the Raptors. And it wouldn't be right if I didn't slide a Raptors question here on my last day so scotty barnes Ooh. all right this is a hot take guys go acc the dude needs to be rookie of the year he's top five in every conceivable chart for rookies he he was number one in win share for rookies at like 6.6 like a, a, a unusually high number for crying out loud if we're gonna look at the history of raptors rookies I haven't been a Raptors rookie for uh, a Raptors fan for an extremely long time, but I would imagine Bosch was probably the most impressive first round rookie they had. Uh, yeah. So all yeah. I need to know is how many more points did Barnes average than Bosch in his rookie year? Yeah, look, it's it's got to be it's going to be Barnes or Mo, or Evan Mobley for rookie of the year. Um, I don't know who I would take. I'm almost glad I don't have a vote on that one. They've been both those guys have been incredible. Kate Cunningham made a push. But it's got to be it's got to be Barnes or Mobley. It's Scotty Barnes, like dude, he's gonna be a star. It's like it's so obvious. The defense has been good this season too, and obviously the offense has been terrific. Um, I'll say uh, three and a half, three point five difference. That's exactly what I just motioned to you. Three and a half. I saw five three. I did three. That's what it means. Three and a half. Three point <laughs> five. All right, look, we're we're not pushing. I hate it for you guys. Well, that means pushing. I lose if I we have the same answer. I lose anyway. Oh, because he has the one. Okay, you got. You know what, yeah. guys? I think we're gonna have to be happy with the push on the final question wow. today. <laughs> uh, it's exactly what I had written down. He okay. Yeah. So the answer, Scotty Barnes, uh, Chris Bosh, his rookie year averaged eleven point five points. Pretty good for a rookie. Scotty Pretty Barnes. Good. As averaging 15.3, good for 3.8 higher <laughs> than Chris Bosch. We the, the kid's going to be a star. You're right about yeah. that. And also, yeah, guys, is. you're a star. Uh, there's no you're concept. There's no stat that you don't understand. There's no player I can throw at the, you that you don't know where they played at school or what their <laughs> best fit is. Uh, your future knows no bounds, man. And I, I, I can't wait to be able to be like, I came up with dumb questions that that guy used to answer when you're doing <laughs> analytics for some big company or team in the future, man. It, it has been an absolute pleasure, and I can't wait to uh, see you outside of this whole radio place. Yeah, and well, thank you again for the kind words. It was a pleasure coming on uh, with you and Josh every week for I don't even know how long, a year, two years now? Yeah, longer um, than that. It, it, it's been a blast, and I appreciate working with with you robert and, and really what both of you guys have done to well, josh you and i've worked a lot too together but uh just to help me out and promote stuff has been um yeah like this no one does this on their own you know so thank you for the help and support and yeah look forward to talking basketball and and, and uh you know getting a beer at some point with you in the future too robert. will dalton are you ready to step in you think you got this i think i got this i okay. think uh you know good that, luck that david glenn circle i they're built different, you know. <laughs> They're built different. Yeah. <laughs> BG knows about that. We need that. to come up with the names. That's right. Like the yeah. Carolina's got the family. Duke's yeah. got the brotherhood. We need to figure out what the David Glenn trees got. We'll we'll think on that. For the a groupies. While. You could be the DG groupies, or the I don't know. There's a way <laughs> to figure it out. We're have uh, to by the way, la- last thing I do want to mention because I meant to bring this up. I know we've gone long here, but early in the season, before Christmas, before the winter break. 
we were talking about Duke's small ball lineup, these lineups with Paolo Bancaro at center, which we saw in the title game against UNC because yeah. of Mark Williams and Theo John getting in foul trouble. Semifinal. Robert at the time came up with the, the nickname for that lineup as the Daisy Duke lineup, as if you guys may remember. <laughs> All season long, as I've been charting Duke every game, when I, when I, because I saved clips from every game of Duke's plays, of their lineups, of each individual player. Whenever Duke has been in the small ball, those small ball lineups, I've tagged them as Daisy. That's so it has lived on. I meant to bring it up months ago. But that has great. lived on uh, in the files of my computer. I, I, thought, I thought for a second he was going to tell me, hey, you were at the arena, so you couldn't hear the broadcast. Jim Nance and Grant Hill were oh, referring to it. Oh, they're going to no, have to I go wish. to the Daisy, no. Daisy no. Duke's lineup. Something far nerdy, far more nerdy than that. Uh, that's, uh, we, we come to yeah. expect that from you. BG, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, buddy. Yep, see you guys. Be good. Uh, before we take it to the house, we'll give away some Merlefest tickets and we'll give some love to some of our locals at the, uh, Ma at the Masters in Augusta. That's next on The Drive.